Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Calon FM. Welcome to the business community on Callan FM with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. I'm putting all the wrong mics up. Sorry. I told you this was a bad I idea. Relinquish control. I'm and a it's, bit of a control yeah. freak when it comes to the day. And it's already gone wrong. And I'm, I'm, I'm sat here opposite <laughs> Heather and I'm in so much pain with my shoulder. I don't really mind today, Heather. You can press all the wrong buttons and all the wrong order. And I'll just sit here and think, at least it's not me having to twist in that chair. So welcome to the business community on Callan FM with me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. And we've got uh, an extended show for you today. We've got uh, two hours, as you know, over Christmas and New Year. The schedule on Callan FM gets mixed up a little bit. And uh, so we thought we'd do two hours of news, views and reviews from the world of business. And we've got some great things lined up for you. Um, In a week when most of us apart from eating too much, have either been queuing up for last-minute Christmas purchases or working extra long hours to keep on top of those increased demands for the festive period. And those who work in hospitality have still got a few days to go until things calm down. And while for many businesses the new year brings a period of calm, uh, unless, of course, you work in the diet and fitness industry, um, it's often a time of reflection Spend as much time looking back as you do looking forward at the at the change of a so, year. Yeah. What was your Christmas like? Nice. Um, I have quite a relaxed Christmas. I don't get really involved with the cooking, so that's quite nice. And we, we tend to stay at home on Christmas Day, but visited family before and after. So good. And um, I, I started thinking about journals again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be talking about um, journals in the show. We will. We will, because it is very much a time of reflection, isn't it? Yes. And in our topical discussion, so we thought because we've got a longer show, we normally we do one topical discussion. We thought we'd choose a subject each. So what have you decided for our topical discussion? Well, I'm, I'm picking up on a news story that uh, came out uh, just before Christmas on the 20th of December. It was announced um, that Andrew Bailey would be the new governor of the Bank of England. And that will take place from the 16th of March 2020 and uh, Mark Carney has agreed to stay on until the 15th of March and it's quite interesting because I think it went against the the run of play. The expectation was that um, other people were favourite for that position including a lady who I'm going to uh, profile at the end of the show Um, and it's just a. It got me thinking about how they choose that. We, we've talked about the Bank of England before, haven't we? And uh, we we announced to it all the listeners when the vacancy became available, just in case you wanted to apply. And actually, <laughs> I, let us know if you did. Yeah, it would be very interesting to know. And it, it was interesting to read that uh, this obviously this not that obvious appointment. However, um, I I have to say that Andrew Bailey is indeed very experienced with lots of um, service in the areas of banking and of the Financial Conduct Authority. He's got an illustrious career which you can can find online. He's worked at the London School of Economics, joined the Bank of England in 1985. He's been um, involved in all sorts of issues including the financial crisis um, and he was involved in the bank's special operations to resolve the problems in the banking sector and he was involved with Dunfermline Building Society 
and he became chief exec of the Prudential Regulation Authority in 2013 and he became the CEO of the Financial Conduct Authority in 2016. So, He's been appointed to this role um, by the government. So I, I, I sort of miss that along the way. It's actually the Chancellor that appoints him. And, uh, and has to, does it have to be approved by the Queen? I'm not so sure about that. Oh, actually. I, th- yeah. oh I thought I saw something somewhere, but OK. Yeah, approved, it's the... approved by the Chancellor and okay. the government and maybe by the Queen. OK. And um, it's in the backdrop of... Weak growth, low inflation, the potential impact of Brexit, regulatory changes um, with with all the Brexit stuff in the European Union, then all sorts of stuff going on with climate change. So he's he's not actually coming into it in a, a like it's a, not rosy a rosy period. time. No, 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 no. So he's got quite a bit of work. Also, I was looking at um, an article on Business News this week um, on the BBC website, and there is some sort of um, argument about the fact that they've they've chosen another white male in this role. Yep. Um, and in the 320 years that the Bank of England has existed, it's never had a woman as its leader. And I think because there were a couple of people that were potential for this role that were women, it's been highlighted that this isn't actually helping with diversity. Um Oh, yes, sorry, I've just read here. He was appointed by the government, not by the bank, chosen by the Chancellor, Sajid Javid, and approved by the Prime Minister. The Prime Minister, OK. Prime Minister. okay. Yeah. And um, obviously he's the right man for the job, he's a good man for the job, but uh, the questions are being asked was, surely was a, a right woman for the job? And the article that I read said that they thought there were significant structural issues in the pipeline of talent at the bank. So not necessarily that this was the wrong choice, but what are you doing to help uh, women into these more senior positions? And she seems to think that this woman I'm reading about, Miss Shah, and she, she seems to think that it's a systemic trend um, with female economists and they're not getting moved into senior positions. Although, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't the COO of the Bank of England a female? I don't know. Because, I th- yeah, I, yeah I, th- I think I think she is. So I'm a I former t- deputy governor of the Bank of England as a woman, obviously the lady who I'm going yeah. to be profiling, so Minouche Shafiq. And she was tipped as the favourite for quite a while. So um, I, I think it was maybe... It's an article that's not necessarily, oh, my gosh, this is a big scandal. No, no. But it's obviously a discussion point. You know, it could have been a a landmark moment, but maybe there's other stuff going on. So do you think that it's because, because obviously in order to take a role that's as significant as that, you need to, you need to have been around the block a few times, therefore you will be of a certain age. And maybe people of that sort of age, women weren't studying economics and weren't well, following that financial path? I don't yeah, know. maybe. Um, although the the previous, the former favourite, Minouche Shafika, she's 57 and mm. she's had all those senior roles. Mm. She has studied uh, economics and, and had some, um, like, for example, um, Deputy Governor of the Bank of England. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, um, Andrew Bailey does beat her by three years. He's 60 and he's he's had quite a, a wide-ranging uh, set of experiences in the banking sector. So, yeah, I, I just thought I would mention it because I, I think they could have done something 
into, I mean, for a start, um, the, the favourite Minou Shafiq, she was not only a woman, she's also uh, of Egyptian origin and Muslim, so that would have been a very That's big a full, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, all right. Uh, that interesting stuff, isn't it? I mean, I when you actually look at what the Bank of England does, because I, you know, it's more than it's more than just signing the the banknotes, isn't it? That's, that job, you know. It's, <laughs> I always used to think that when I was a kid, oh wow, imagine that. You know, you you have to sign all the banknotes. If that was Andrew Bailey's job, just to sit there and sign every note. Yeah, but it but it's much more complex you, than you that. You might need a different set of skills. <laughs> Quite, quite from RSI. <laughs> so, my topical subject this week, actually, <laughs> Tracy and I, when we we're preparing for the show, we messaged one another, and last night I was just about to message Tracy to say what my topical subject was, and she said, "I've this is my topical subject," and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, that's also my topical." That's also subject. mine. Anyway, so um. As I hadn't actually, as you hadn't actually done yours, yeah. So, but there was a story that appeared in the BBC and in the Mirror. So I think the Mirror just trawled the BBC to find their news stories. It's all coming from the same place. Um, but um, it it got me thinking about the change in face of the high street. We've been talking about this yeah. for a long time now, and um, the article is. Uh, a list of some of the biggest names that we have lost in the past decade because, of course, 2020 is the start of a whole new decade. And the list was 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 interesting. There are a couple fairly of, of couple of fairly recent ones, like Toys R Us, which uh, you know they went to the wall in 2018. Um, Pound World, not to be confused with Pound Land, 2018, and Maplin, you know the little electronic yeah. shop. Um, they did a sort of phased closure, so a lot of stores closed, and then they, they closed some more later on. Um, but but one of the names on the list that um, that surprised me is I'd completely um, Barrett's shoes. Yeah, twenty thirteen. It was like when I, when I read it, it was like you know when you hear that a celebrity's died and you go, oh, I thought they thought were already, already dead. dead. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The Barrett's shoes. Like, yes, have they gone in the last ten years? Yeah, and 2013. 2013. I thought they'd gone a long time ago. And then, but then also phones for you for some reason. I thought, oh, have they gone? And then it's like, yeah, yeah, they have. Yeah, yeah, they. <laughs> 2014. Like, yeah, 2014. Yeah, a long time ago. But um, Tyrac is another one. Yeah. So Tyrac, they used to be in every shopping centre, in every high street, in every railway station, yeah. there'd be a tie rack. I don't really know why. I suppose it's for people who go for an interview and have spilt something down their tie or something. Maybe an emergency tie. An emergency tie. Um, and sometimes, because I love scarves, so sometimes I, I do miss tie rack. How about sock shop? Oh, gosh, I'd completely forgotten about sock shop. Did they... Were they part of the same I think group? The same yes. group. They're, they're not mentioned in this list. They're not. Another one that I thought had gone um, longer ago was Borders. They seem to have disappeared before 2009. Yeah. But maybe they had locally. So the, there was one around Cheshire Oaks area and I don't. they may have gone... Um, there was a massive one at Cheshire Oaks, area. wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. And, and again, I think that they... So Borders left the UK in 2009, but it was the USA in 2011. So whether it was just part of a, a shrinking yeah. presence, I don't know. And of course, you know, looking ahead, the likes of Mothercare, Clinton Cards... Um, you know, uh, look, look, 
look like they might be disappearing. And people like um, Topshop, Debenhams, New Look, House of Fraser, Marks and Spencer, they've had some closures, even yeah. though the brand name's... Clinging on still. Yes, yeah. I wonder which ones will, will be on the list in another 10 years' time then. Yeah, I don't know. I tried to, there, there, there is some research around brands that might disappear over the next 10 years. But, but one thing that I found in Retail Gazette, interestingly, is that... Retail Gazette says that 80% of spend remains in store. Really? That's which I think is incredible. So that's suggesting that only 20, 20 pence in the pound is being spent online. Okay. So, so if you relate that to your um, Christmas spend, Heather, how much yep. of that was done online and how much in store? Quite a lot was done online of things that were... Um, if it was a book, you know, or if it was on somebody's wish list, because then it, it's and of course, Amazon have been very clever because you can now save things to your Amazon wish list from other retailers. Yeah. Which, you know, is and of course, they'll get a kickback. Um, but I liked if it's it depends what it is. Some things I like to go and and see and feel and touch. And so if yeah. it was clothing, if it was a scarf, if I had a couple of trips to nice little shops or farm yep. shops if I wanted yeah bits that, and bobs yeah little gifty type things and if it was a um an album so an LP yep. there yep. were a couple of those on the list or as you say I, although actually I did go to a an independent bookshop for some books that I bought so I actually okay. bought them yeah yeah. yeah yeah and I did that even though they were slightly more expensive in the physical bookshop it felt right to go to the independent bookshop when I could yeah, it's a very... We've got a fantastic bookshop in Oswald Street called Booker. That is the one I went to. Oh, was it? Yeah. Right, I mean, and it's a whole... They've got a coffee shop. It was a whole experience. It's a whole experience, yeah. yeah. And I think that that, you know, that... And we've talked about this with the retail, haven't we, when we talked about um, the, the likes of Ikea trying out different things on the high street. Is It is about the customer experience more and more. And I was, I was in the lucky position that I was able to afford to pay a little bit more for the books yep. which was the the actual list price of the book yep. uh, to get the whole experience of a trip to Oswestry and you know go to a cafe and have coffee and cake and the whole experience of browsing and touching the books and, and actually getting um, that whole oh, I, I just love bookshops so anyway it's the retail therapy yeah. it's it's it, you don't get that Although it's convenient, you click and buy, it's, you click and buy and it's done. Whereas actually, there is something I don't know if it's a girl thing or or not. I mean, I think I know guys who like to spend time trawling around looking at different things. But there's that sense of I've looked at all of these different things and I've chosen that one. Yeah, and that's my purchase. And a, a couple of things that really pleased me this Christmas were, were presents from my kids. And admittedly, they'd left their present buying until the weekend just before Christmas. But we happened to be in London and we were at Greenwich Market. Yep. And the fact that they chose my Christmas present from the stalls there, yep. that really pleased me. And as much as whatever the choice of gift was, that it came from that lovely experience that we had at Greenwich Market that weekend. Yeah, no, that, that is lovely. Going back to the high street and, and some of these brands that have disappeared, of course, for sometimes it's because technology moves on a pace. One of the companies on the list is Blockbuster, you know, the video rental 
shop where you used to go on a Saturday afternoon to choose a couple of films to watch. Yeah, so Blockbuster's loss is Netflix's gain. Exactly. And the, and the in, in, in the interim, there was, do you remember Love Film? Oh, yeah. When they used to send you... Yeah, post them to you. Yeah, post them to you. You watch them and post them back and you're allowed to have so many... It was like an online library of... of DVDs. Do you know the one that's hurt me most of all of these closures Which? on the list? Staples. Yes. Because I w- I'm never have been uh, before Staples closed that organised with ordering my stationery that I needed because I always knew I could just pop down and even though it's a little bit more expensive, yeah. I could pop down and pick something up within the hour. Yeah, and you also had all the other things that you needed to buy from there that you didn't even know you'd gone in for. It's a bit like going to the supermarket for a pint of milk, spending 50 quid. You go to Staples to get a couple of reams of paper and I would usually come out with some post-it notes and a nice pen and perhaps a notebook. Yeah. So, again, I don't know if it's a girl thing, but uh, stationery. What's, what? Although um, we went from Staples to Office Outlet, I think it was. Oh, I don't know that. Um, and they took over a lot of the Staples buildings, but I think even they have um, have disappeared now. So, who knows what the next ten years will bring? Let's hope that it you know it's not some of our favourite brands that uh, that disappear, and let's hope that they are replaced by equally interesting and um, attractive offerings. In the other news section, I've been trawling around looking for some future trends and I found an article on Inc.com which talks about the most significant trends for small businesses in 2020 and beyond. And some of these things we've been talking about quite a bit over the previous months. The first one is that customers will prefer businesses that are green and socially responsible. And research has been done. We've talked about this, about the younger customers, millennials and Generation Z, um, are more concerned about a company's values. And the suggestion here is that you need to start to demonstrate your own commitment to these areas, such as using local products and saying that you use local products, minimise packaging, using green cleaning products, using other green vendors and services in your supply chain. The second one is is looking at customer reviews and saying that they're more important than ever. And I have to admit here, I always look at reviews now, reviews of products that I'm buying, reviews of restaurants or, or other um, eateries that I'm going to, reviews of films that I'm going to see. And it's not the be all and end all but it does have a significant impact on the choices that I make. And I, and I don't mind a few negative reviews because you can read them, uh, read, read between the lines with some of them, but I think that's really important. It says it's not a new trend in this article, which is true, but that they are becoming more and more crucial. And it's important to make sure that you're encouraging your customers to leave reviews. Um, for a start, you have to provide them great products and great services to do that. But that's probably not enough to leave a positive review. People who've had a bad experience are probably quite happy to leave a negative review. But you might have to just nudge your customers gently to re- to leave positive reviews for you. What I tend to do is I tend to look at the reviews, disregard the scathing ones, disregard the over-the-top ones that have probably been written by their mother and look at the tranche in the middle and see what types of things people are saying. Yeah. And and that and if that sort of feels a bit more balanced. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and sometimes if you go to the, the online reviews, they're, they're things like this was delivered late or the packaging was not very good. And it actually, 
I want to know what the product yes, is like yeah. rather than the service that you got from that online. The delivery, platform. yeah, yeah. Uh, the third article in the, uh, sorry, the third item in the article is leveraging e-commerce. And we've been talking about e-commerce for ages, but it's not just about online retail now. It's other things that you can do to, to actually make money and, and to benefit from e-commerce and you can expand your business without the need for physical space by doing this for example if you've got a restaurant you might sell uh, a recipe book uh, or an e-book of your recipes or you could bottle up the salsa or the curry sauce or the salad dressings and sell them online if you're a, a beauty salon you could sell products online or a gym or a personal trainer you could sell supplements and workout equipment and you don't even need to have your own product as well to, to make the most out of e-commerce. You could be an affiliate. You could market for other companies and, and get a kickback on those products. Um, you can sell something that actually leverages e-commerce in some way if you just think about it. If you're not sure, go and take a look at, at other companies that do similar things to you and see what sort of things that they're managing to leverage from e-commerce. And of course, you don't need nowadays, you don't need a warehouse or anything because you can have stuff fulfilled by fulfillment sites. Yeah. Um, and you and you can actually order one at a time. I mean, you can have books that are printed to order. So anything is is yeah, possible now. It just takes a little bit of, of thought, a little bit of um, creativity, perhaps, mm. to think about what would work best for mm. you and for your potential customers or indeed um, your new customers that you, you might be targeting. Number four was using mobile marketing in creative ways. Now, this is a growth area for, for the coming years, and some businesses have already got the handle on this. This is one I'm a little bit more behind the times on. And this is um, geo-targeting to provide targeted ads to customers or um, um, sending out promotions via, via an app where you know where that person is or what they're interested in or using um, SMS or text messaging staying to through the customers. We've already talked about um, mobile payments. So, you know, you could take payments via Google Wallet or Apple Pay or Visa Checkout. What things can you do that engage with people's mobile phones, essentially, mm -hmm. is what we're talking about here with mobile marketing. It could even be we were talking about the, the rise of the video in portrait mode, weren't we? Because it, it was always ingrained in us that when you're doing a video, turn your phone to landscape and, and then your, your video is the same as a TV screen. Whereas now the, the trend is to have portrait because yep. it, you can view it on your phone without having to turn Keep the phone. turning it around or not, yeah. Yeah, yep. so if you're thinking about how you can market to people who are actually... I, I've always got my phone... If I leave the house, there's two things I've got, my keys and my phone. Mm. If I've left the house without my phone, I feel bereft. Yeah. And if that's me, fifty, nearly 50-year-old 50 woman, then there's an awful lot more people out there that would take the phone before they even thought about their house keys. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then um, number five is stories and live stream dominating social media. So it's not enough to just be using Facebook and Instagram now they're suggesting that you need to be actually doing live streaming on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube as a way to be more visible and to get more engagement. And this is described as ephemeral content. I love that word, ephemeral. Mm -hmm. It's a great word. And it, but it's a way to connect with your audience spontaneously and authentically. So it, 
if something is happening in your workplace or you've got something you want to say, instead of composing and designing an ad to go on Facebook, the suggestion here is you you do a, a quick video. You don't present it, you don't script it, you don't plan a long presentation. You just pick up your phone and live stream. It's a challenge for some. Yeah, it, it's the doing of it, I don't think is... It doesn't concern me. It's the idea that people would want to watch a video of me talking about what I was doing. You know, it's that, you know, and for it to appear on their feed. It, uh, uh, yeah, I find that. Yeah, I mean, th this is strange. This is one that I'm not used to myself, but you, you see it happening all over. Mm. You know, so you get notifications on your phone that such and such is live. Is live, and yeah. Oh, what? Yeah. That? So I, I, I need to catch up on that. Maybe we should live stream a little bit for the show. Oh, yeah. That might be our challenge for 2020. Oh, oh I like you thinking. I like you thinking. <laughs> In other news for me this week, um, one thing that I came across, it's great, isn't it? When you, when you have time off and you, you're sort of forced to sit on the sofa because there's not really anything else to do other than sit on the sofa <laughs> or go out running or walking or hiking or whatever. I've actually really enjoyed having more time to read the news, uh, to listen to podcasts, to actually just... So I feel like my head is full of lots of really interesting information, whereas normally it's just a load of sawdust. <laughs> and one of the things that, that we did was we watched the Christmas lectures. I don't know if you watch yeah. them in your house. We've only seen the first one so far. Right, OK. We've so, um, yeah, so it was Hannah Fry doing um, maths. maths and science, really. Yeah, and the, and the science of maths. Um, so there were three. But, and one thing that... Um, um, it was. They were really good. They were really interactive. There were loads of things going on. They're funny. But she brought on at one point a guy who runs a business with drones that deliver. So she's talking about the future um, and how you can make sure that drones don't crash into things. So we're talking about that. Um, so he, he was saying he, they already use them to deliver blood samples and things up to about five kilo and about two thirds the size of a shoe box, something like that, about the size of a shoe box. Um, so that was really interesting. And then just in passing, they mentioned another strand to his business, which is a business called Velocopter. Ooh. And this is planning to be the first air taxi. Okay. So this is like a big drone that will fly people. People? Yeah. And that, no, thank you. Well, no, exactly. That was my initial thought. But then I thought to myself, well, you know, think back to cars, you know, the idea of cars, the idea of aeroplane, you know, we're, the hover car could be a thing of the future. She talked about self-driving cars and all of those types of yeah. things. So when you start to join all that technology up and I thought, crikey, there's actually a company called Velocopter and it's an electric air taxi. Okay. All right. And it, I just thought, wow. That's the thing. But normally I would just watch that and think, oh, that's the thing. But I actually went and looked into it. So that's the great thing about having a bit of downtime. But the real story that I wanted to talk about, because I just thought that was like, a, that's just like space age. Where's my hover car kind of thing? Can I talk about space age? Go on. Um, last night, um, Chris and Yolo came in and they went, there's something strange in the sky. I think it might be a line of airplanes, but it, they seem really high. Oh. oh, my. So we went and looked at it and it was a straight line, 10, 15, maybe more 
um, looked like stars, they were so small, in a line travelling across the sky. Like, wow, what is that? Is that UFOs? It's it's not planes. There was nothing on the plane app. You, you yeah. know, I'm a bit of a yeah. geek. So yeah, yeah. On the yeah. Plane app for Find out it's just 10 planes, planes flying to yeah. Bahamas. Um, they were all stacking or something, waiting to go to yeah. Manchester. No, um, I did a little bit of digging. And one of the theories is that it's um, SpaceX satellites. So we, we've talked about SpaceX and Elon Musk yeah. in the show over the yeah. months. And this is, uh, they, they've been launching... Um, lots of satellites, actually. I think they're talking about 60 at the moment. There's plans to have a global network of satellites. And this, these were the initial sort of launch. And these satellites eventually will start to spread. But at the moment, they're all in a big line. Oh, my goodness. But That's this space age. And, and, um, and of course, we've talked about some of the brands that have disappeared. And we've said many of the time on this show that there are jobs that don't yet exist that our young people will be doing. And once you start looking at, you know, what do you do for it? Well, I drive a, a drone taxi, you know, <laughs> from the ground. I mean, it's it's just it's yeah. a whole nother thing. So, wow, that's yeah. If you hadn't have spotted those, that yeah. would be something that you wouldn't have researched and we well, I wouldn't and, have known. And that. I was grateful for Twitter because there were lots of other people going, What is what, it? What's that line of lights? Really? All over the UK. Wow, okay. I looked initially for Wrexham but, yep. and, and I found the answer that I was looking for. But yeah, people have been asking all over the UK. What, what was it? Fascinating, fascinating. Okay, well, one of the things that I wanted to look at, thinking about um, looking back over the last uh, decade, uh, was and you've talked a lot that the ONS they have their basket of goods that's used to measure inflation. So these are the items that belong in the basket. Um, it's a list of seven hundred and twenty commonly bought products and services, um, and depending on whether the prices go up or down, that that's a, an indicator of of the the rate of inflation. So I thought I'd have a look back, and there are some things that have appeared in the basket of goods, and there are some things that have been taken out of the basket of goods. Um, and the, an article on the BBC where they talk about um, some what were we buying and what were we leaving on the shelves. So in early 2010, the Apple iPad had not even been released. Now I can't even can wow. You, can you remember a day when there wasn't an iPad? Yeah. Um, you could still rent movies on discs by going into a shop. Um, and if you wanted to know the weather, you needed to open the curtains instead of asking your smart speaker, <laughs> right? So, which is. Um, but one thing that you probably weren't doing is taking a photo on a disposable camera. Do you remember disposable cameras? Yeah. They were taken out of the basket of goods oh. because people, with the increase of phones, having. Uh, fo photo capability but also um, digital cameras emerging and the price is going down I mean we had disposable cameras at our wedding um, film taken out of the taken out of the basket can I tell you a funny story about a disposable camera go on <laughs> um, my nephew wouldn't thank me for this I won't name him okay um, one of the good uses for disposable cameras is children's um, sort of trips away with school yeah so outward bound courses and I know my daughter um, obviously she couldn't take her phone on the trip but they were encouraged to take disposable cameras so that they could um, have them the photographs when they got back so my nephew took a disposable camera with him took his pictures threw it in the bin because it was disposable yeah <laughs> and he had no concept that you actually had to then take it and have the pictures developed. the film developed 
because it, it had all just happened in the cloud before with all you know, the phones. And so, yeah, it was literally a disposable camera. <laughs> well, at our wedding, we had disposable cameras and we put one on, on or a couple on each table. We only had a small wedding. So then we sent them all off, came back from honeymoon, photos had arrived and we were trying to figure out who... You know, oh, I wonder whose ca- whose camera this was, whose camera that was, and the only person that we knew whose camera it was was our nephew, who was about two and a half, three at the t- three, I think, <laughs> and we'd bought him a little model car, and every photo was of this car, <laughs> on the table, on the chair, on the floor, <laughs> on the wall. Love this car. Anyway, so disposable cameras um, disappeared, um, but then things like um, we had. Um, uh, cigarette vending machines. So zig- cigarette vending machines were banned. Cigarettes disappeared from the baskets. Um, uh, vending machine cigarettes. Then vaping came in. So so now that's added to the basket. Um, lipstick was removed in favour of lip gloss. Okay. All of these, I mean, I'm sure that eyebrows probably feature in the basket now, or if they don't, they will do very, um, very, very soon. Tablet computers joined in the mix of goods in 2012. uh, And these days, more than three quarters of children aged 5 to 15 have access to a tablet. Um, Film came out of the basket. 135, 24 camera film went. Uh, And it's, it's just really interesting. Some of the things that you kind of forgot about. Coffee pods. They were brought in in 2016. Gin was added in 2017. <laughs> you know, if you looked at the history of this basket, you'd start to see, um, uh, well, quite a good reflection it's of what man's history, doing. It? it is yeah. social history, yes, yeah. So, who knows what's gonna what's gonna be added? There's a rise in veganism, so um, they think that uh, veganism and um, and sort of veg- part vegetarianism that's got a special name and I can't remember what it is. We'll see that the sale of meats will reduce. So, I don't know, maybe meats will move out of the basket. Who knows? Watch this space. Now, I'm going to take us all the way back to January 2018. Oh, my goodness. Our very first show. And we talked about journals. We did. And we both had a brand new, lovely journal. And I've got mine with me today. And it's black. And it's it's A5 size. Mm-hmm. And it's quite chunky and it's got grand plans written on the front in gold lettering and you turn the first page this agenda belongs to tracy jones and flip a couple more pages month january 2018 and then there's a page with goals for the month and then you turn the page and it's blank and you turn the page and it's blank and you turn i did not fill it in. Although, interestingly, this morning, just before you arrived in the studio, Heather, I did go through and, and have a look through the goals that I'd set for myself oh. in January 2018. And? I did actually achieve all of those goals. Maybe not in January, but I did achieve them sometime between January 2018. And now? And now, yes. But I've literally used one half of one page in the whole of this beautiful journal. Why do you think that is? <sighs> I think at that point, January 2018, I was going through a lot of personal change in terms of where I was working and and the structure of my working day. But maybe ultimately it's because the layout of the book didn't suit me. 
didn't engage me. I didn't feel drawn to fill it in at all, clearly. But now it feels like an awful waste. There's all this lovely paper. It's a beautiful book. Encased in this lovely black, hard binding with a nice bit of elastic to hold it together. Yep. I feel like I want to use it, but I don't know how because it's it's just not drawn me in. I, I don't feel inclined to fill in the lists that are on there. So Did when you, you use yours? No, I didn't. Uh, but when you say the layout of the pages, so talk us through okay. what some of the layouts are. It's not whether it's grids or lines or blank, is it? No, so it, it started off with my top five goals for the year. Uh, my first goal was set some goals. Clearly, I didn't get much further than that. <laughs> um, what I'm grateful for are my affirmations. Maybe it felt a bit overwhelming to have set my goals for the whole year in January. And you didn't have to start in January because it's it's not actually dated. Mm -hmm. There are just spaces. It says, what month is it? And then you can go. Um, and then when you get into the main section, there's a page for each day and it includes um, to-do list, work, stroke blog, personal stroke family and then notes. That's your, your daily allowance on there and there's lines and spaces for you to make lists. So it's, I think it would maybe appeal to people who like lists. Yeah. I'm OK with lists, but clearly it didn't didn't enthrall me, didn't throw no. me enough to go and fill it in. There's there's um, sections for each month as well, so you can have a monthly focus, top five things for that month, and notes on the month, and there's a little blank page with a mind map for that month. So it, in theory, it's got everything that I could possibly want, but it didn't draw me in, and I didn't use it, I'm sad to say. So I want to give it new life. Okay, so you, yeah, all right. So what do you think you might use it for? Well, I'm going to listen to you talk about bullet journals now and I wonder if I can convert it to a bullet journal. Right, OK. All right, we shall see. So the bullet journal method is a method um, developed by a guy called Ryder Carroll. And he... Um, so my husband sent me a link and said, oh, this is something you might be interested in. And and it, it, it was a little... Um, little video and a little sort of blog post about the whole bullet journal process. And then it transpires, there's an app and then there's a book and then you can actually buy journals, but you don't have to buy his journal. So I thought, right, I'm going to buy the book because this is a system. It's quite a thick book. It's, it is quite a thick book. And actually, I mean, I've started reading it and it's mostly, a lot of it is about the way you think about your to-do lists and your goals and your your tasks, um, and and what what did it for me was and we've talked in the past about all sorts of different apps on your phone, you know where to store things, Evernote, you know um, to do, yeah, yeah, all of that, yeah, and and I've never ever found one that works for me. I've I've tried color coding everything. I've tried. I don't use an iPad anymore, but I I used to have one where you could handwrite notes and have different notebooks. And then the then the best thing that I managed um, at, at the back end of last year was to have a different notebook for each thing that I'm involved with. So there's my own business. Um, I'm a, a director with. Um, Oswestry bid. I'm a trustee with Cube, and then I have like my personal life. So, how many notebooks do you carry around with? So, you? well, I only carry, I only carry the one. If I'm working, I carry the one for work. If I'm 
doing stuff for bid, I carry the one for bid. They're colour coded. Um, and if it's my personal one, then I write in that. And if I don't have any with me, because I don't always want to be carrying an A5 notepad around, you know, if you're going out somewhere, <laughs> then then I use my phone to imagine make notes. You with a, like, a little, little pull along. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Filing cabinet. And, and what the bullet journal does, and what one thing I like about the app is that the app supports the journaling but the app is quite strict about um what you can and can't do with it so it's because i thought the other day oh it's all right i'll just um i'll just write i'll just write these things in the in the bullet journal but it says okay um there's a log and in that log you can write things you can write in a task you can write in a note and you can write in an event but they'll disappear after 48 hours. You've got to transfer You've them got to transfer them to your journal. Now, that was my big concern because you can sometimes get caught between, even if it's several notebooks, that, that's been the mistake I've made. I've written it in that notebook and not that notebook. But I, I was imagining you having some stuff in the app and some stuff in the book. But the fact that it disappears. Yeah. Ooh. So it's a discipline. And all of this is a discipline. And so just... The the bullet journal method essentially is you can take any notebook. It's entirely up to you, um, and you. It's a system. So there are little symbols that you use um, to show things that you carry forward, things that are priority, things that are done, um, things that are events. Uh, you have your um, you have the index for the whole book. Then you have weekly tasks. Then you have daily tasks. I've seen some images on Pinterest and they, they look like works of art, some of them. Is that yeah. what you're aiming for? Well, I don't think it'll be a work of art, but but you can write words or you can draw, you can doodle, you can have meeting notes. So it could be X, Y, Z meeting. And that is, the most important thing is you date and number each of the pages and that you index everything back. You take everything back to the index at the beginning. Okay. So have you opted for just a plain journal that you're going to create all of the images and, and templates for? Yes. Not Because you can buy bullet journals where there are templates in yeah. place. And but does that not defeat the object of creating well, something that you need? Well, particularly given our experience of the Grand Plans book, where there is a, a, a template a and a structure, I, I don't mind following this formula but I want it to look the way I want it to look. And I don't want, there's nothing more annoying. If there's a box on a page and I, and it says great ideas in it, I feel like I can't write anything except for great ideas in it. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's that's a bit that's missing for me. Or a page that says, um, it's it would be like making notes in an address book. You know, no, it's laid out to make yeah. addresses. And I can't. only write things beginning with A. Exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. So um, so I don't know how it's going to go. The book so far is very much about, as I say, changing your relationship with tasks. And the, and the biggest element is there's this reflection element. So at the end of every day or at the beginning of every day, you look and you see what you've done, what you're carrying forward, what you need to write in. And what he's suggesting is that actually the thought process of is this something I need to write in this book is actually quite, quite a good discipline and That's quite cathartic anyway. Itself. It's part of the process. So you're only actually writing down stuff that matters because do you, need, do you really need to write down something that, I mean, I write things on to-do lists I have no intention of doing. <laughs> and I also write down things that I've done. 
so that I can tick them off. Yeah. So so watch this space, really. Um, I'm hoping it's going to lead to a more organised and productive 2020. But okay, we might be sat accountable. We might be sat here in 2022, realising that it didn't actually work. This is the business community on Calon FM. My discovery of the week is is a book. Now, rather perversely, I've started reading a Kindle book, even though I've had about a dozen books over the last month or so for birthday <laughs> and for Christmas, actual physical books. And they, they always sort of um, form a big pile on my bedside table, which I work through through the year but this one caught my eye on kindle so i haven't actually started my big pile of books on the bedside but um i i've only part way through this but already i want to recommend it to you because it's it's a nice read and it's um, an intelligent um read as well it's a it's not a light read ah uh, okay you need to concentrate a bit on it and i'm going to attempt to pronounce the author's name and i give apologies up front because I've practiced and practiced saying this and I can't get it right. The book is called Conscious You, Become the Hero of Your Own Story. And the author is Nadjedska Taranzuski. Yeah, or I'm sure that's how you say like it. that. And I do apologise. It starts off by saying... Um, The author says she believes in order to create the life we want, we need to become more conscious. Conscious to who we are and why. And one of the things that really reeled me in was the thing at the beginning where she said there isn't a universal formula for personal growth your process for personal growth is unique as you are and that's quite refreshing because we've we've reviewed a lot of books and some don't even get to the stage where we actually talk about them on air but there's a lot of books out there that claim to have the answer, the solution to whatever it is, your perfect business, your perfect this, your perfect life. And actually, this book just goes, there isn't that. So I'm going to present you with a selection of different theories. And she, she puts them into stories. That's so she And you do like a story. Examples. I love a story. And she 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 takes well-researched theories, puts them, applies them through a filter of a story or a client that she's worked with and then allows you to decide whether that's speaking to you or not. And and you can then work your way through all of this. And, and I did find myself connecting or, or identifying certain aspects of my life or people I knew, things that had gone on in my life previously or things that I was experiencing now where I could go, oh, yeah, that applies there. But it's not the one thing that's going to improve my life. I, and... That sort of it drew me in, and it's got me reading it. So it's a bit like a pick and mix. Here, here is some. Here Although is some. It's pick and mix. I did think that initially, the suggestion would be just dip into the book and find out what you like. But she actually says each chapter builds on the other one, so you really should read it in order. Okay, which is what I'm doing. Right, uh, and and I can sort of see that because she refers back to chapters and refers forward to chapters, but it's very much about talking you through these various theories and and scenarios for personal development. There is also a free workbook that you can download with some of the self-reflection exercises from each chapter. I've not done that yet, but I I do like it when a book provides a little bit of extra resource. So the book is all words. There there are no um, 
no sort of little exercises to do within the book. No, no tick boxes or quizzes or anything like that. It's it's pure words with references to the um, the original works that she's um, talking about. So so you get a sense that it's actually a well researched book as well, which is pleasing for me. Mm-hmm. I, I quite like that approach. Um, the first sort of couple of chapters that I've read, uh, I, I really. I connected, I could see, not necessarily relevant to me at this particular time in my life, but certainly could reflect on times in in my life in, in the past or people that I've known. So it talks about um, looking at yourself initially, so being informed versus inflamed and um, updating your GPS. It's, it's like saying you need to know where you are at the moment before you can start travelling anywhere else. It, it's pointless just going, right, I'm heading there, and, and actually you don't know where you're starting from. So that's perhaps why she suggests working through it, because some of the methods she's taken are about finding yourself initially. So for one example, chapter two, it's the tale of the hot potato, and it's about how you inherit stories and how you inherit the past from your parents, your grandparents and those that have gone before and they've passed on this hot potato, which can actually cause you issues in your own present life. And and she talks about different theories of letting go of that hot potato. It's not negating the fact that your family has had those troubles in the past, but that you you can choose what to do with the hot potato at this point. So it's clearing up that. And then it's um, chapter three is looking at who are you? And, you know, how are you creating yourself and using one particular method of actually talking to the different aspects of yourself? And, and um, you know, so the, the side of you that likes being in charge and the, the side of you that likes keeping a nice home and the side of you that likes being creative and actually actively engaging with each of those. Very, very interesting. And not only she doesn't just talk in general terms about it, she gives specific examples of how she's worked with these theories with her own clients as well. And that's, I think, as well, the theory and the real life experience is what what made it stick in my mind. She goes through um, the iceberg of needs, uh, dancing with dragons, sounds like Ooh. a fascinating chapter, the transformation map and uh, and how you can actually use this this quadrant to understand what's going on with your behaviours, what's going on internally, but also how you interact with groups and social groups and and work colleagues and how you can actually use this transformation map not just to change your own internal beliefs and, and values and then external behaviours but also work with it with groups as well so that was very interesting and because this isn't the the actual the definitive expertise on that particular thing she does reference reference you to if you want to look in more detail at a transformation map and work with your team this is where you need to go Okay. So it's like a good overview, but with examples so that you can understand it. And she'll signpost you to Yeah. If you want to if you want to go further down that route, she's yeah. signposting you where so to go. Chapters I haven't got to yet. The Butt Naked Emperor. Oh wow. Okay. Interesting. And uh, Don't Panic. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just started with that one. And this too shall pass. And push pause. Grow like a lobster. And and I'm just noticing here, one of the uh, sections is called Make Sure the Cat Knows. So I'm absolutely intrigued to know what that is. Make Sure the Cat Knows. 
cat knows everything though, doesn't it? So I like I say I've only got halfway through it, but already I like the style. I like the fact that, you know, it's well referenced and researched and that she gives examples and it's about finding yourself and and actually rather than trying to follow somebody else's transformation map it's using all of these different tools and going how can I actually develop myself personally so it's called conscious you become the hero of your own story I'm going to try and say the name again Najetska Taranzowski hopefully hopefully like and that. we will put a link to that and of and all of the things that we've talked about in today's show on our website thebusiness.community this is a section of the show where we take a look at a, a, a business leader somebody who's high profile in business and uh, see what we can find out about them do you know what we haven't said the word guru for ages well yeah well we used to say guru all the time didn't yeah. we it's a very pleasing word to say yes so yeah we, Sometimes it's a guru. Sometimes it's a business leader. Somebody. It's sometimes it's somebody who is high profile in the world of business. Now, this week, um, I'm talking about a lady whose name I had never really registered uh, until I saw the New Year's honours list, uh, and th- that wasn't the version that had all the names and addresses of all of the um, all of the people who'd been honoured. Um, but it was it was I mean, always interested in wh- which women have been made dames. That's one of the first things that I like to look at. Um, and one of the dames this time is who is now known as Dame Sharon Michelle White, uh, born 1967, uh, is uh, is now the chair of the John Lewis Partnership, but was um, given her damehood for services to, um, or as a civil servant, to Ofcom. She was the chief exec of Ofcom from 2015 to 2019. She was the first black person and the second woman to become a permanent secretary at the Treasury. And she is the daughter of uh, parents who came, who were part of the Windrush generation. So um, they came to the UK and settled here. She is very well respected as a civil servant. I was listening to um, a, a BBC show where they were talking about her and Ken Clark, she worked under Ken Clark for a number of years. He said that she she was one of the 10 best civil servants he's ever worked with. Wow. Um, uh, And he also said that, you know, and the fact that she is female and a female economist um, was, that was a rarity in itself. Uh, Margaret Hodge said that she was um, a great thinker. Uh, and so when you when you research this lady, she and and when you see uh, video footage of her and her giving keynotes etc. and being interviewed, she just seems so normal, so regular. Um, and there was somebody who was talking who said that you know she was a tough taskmaster. She's very focused. There was a, a girl that she went to school with, a, an old school friend, and she said that even at school she was very um, she didn't mess around. It's, um, She's successful. She went to Cambridge. Um, she, uh, yeah, was focused and driven. And 
and worked hard to achieve what she's achieved. She, as a civil servant, her salary uh, Ofcom was about £290,000 a year, um, considerably more than um, even the Prime Minister earns. Um, but now moving to the John Lewis partnership, um, it's believed that her salary is 900 plus per year. So that's quite a price hike, isn't it? Quite an earnings hike. Yeah. They probably had quite a nice Christmas in that Not household bad. this year. Yeah. But but all very well deserved. And one of the things that this this brought about was for me, I started to look at, okay, Ofcom. Yeah, we've heard about Ofcom, but what do Ofcom actually do? You know, what what are they tasked with? And and essentially they're tasked with everything to do with communications, whether that's the mobile phone network, they now this radio station. This radio station. They answerable to Ofcom. We're answerable to Ofcom. Um, they now oversee the um, uh, the BBC, uh, and she is very much an advocate for equality and diversity with within the media, um, not least within the BBC. And she's taken the BBC to task a number of times during her time at Ofcom, um, and there are some very interesting interviews with her. Uh, now, there's there's been a little bit of, um, not negative negativity, but some people are saying, well, hang on a minute, how can a lady who's an economist, long-standing civil servant, um, worked at Ofcom, how can she head up the retail giant that is John Lewis without any retail expertise? Um, but uh, I, I, I don't really... I don't I personally don't feel that that should be holding her back because clearly she's able to drive things forward and move things forward. And she's not the only person who's running that business. You would expect that her colleagues will have a lot of retail experience. So it may be that she just has the the focus and the drive and the determination to move things forward for that business. Yeah. But um, yeah. Had you heard of her before? I hadn't. No, you, you sent me a link. <laughs> yeah this woman yeah yeah and this is one of the things i've really enjoyed about the the profile section of this show there are some really obvious ones and we've we've in the two years we've been doing this i think we've hit most of the obvious ones and the real interesting ones are when you dig a little bit deeper and you, you go and find you know you pull on a little thread and, and there's some really interesting backstories to them yeah and she I haven't heard anybody say a bad word against her. She She's brisk and efficient, and I don't think that's a um, negative. She's described her management style as delegating, um, and she actively coaches and mentors women at the early stages of their career. So um, down-to-earth and approachable, tough when she needs to be, um, someone who gets on well with everybody but not a pushover, all the things that you might expect. And when you see her talking... She seems to always be smiling. She's got, she's got, you know, she's got a, a massive smile, and it just seems to always be on her face. And she's very gentle. Um, I, I really like her. She was voted by, um, I can't remember the name of the magazine now. Uh, she was, she was voted as one of, of the seventh most influential black people in the UK, um, alongside Lewis Hamilton and Lenny Henry. Um, so she's she's well respected um, on on all sorts of levels. So if you want to know a bit more about um, Dame Sharon White, then uh, just Google her. There are lots of keynotes and lots of videos and interviews with her. My profile this week is another Dame. 
And I was... There um, is nothing like a dame at this time of year. <laughs> we could sing, couldn't we? But we won't put you through that. So this is the lady I mentioned earlier on in the show who had been tipped as being favourite to take over as the, the new um, Bank of England chair. Um, this is Dame Nemat Talat Shafiq. She's known as Minouche Shafiq. She was born in 1962 in Egypt. She's got British and UK citizenship. And she's an economist. She served as the deputy governor of the Bank of England from uh, 2014 to 2017 and has been a director of the London School of Economics since September 2017. Now, she's uh, also done a, a Desert Island Discs, which was useful to listen to. And she, um, she was born in Egypt and um, she had to flee the country when she was young, I think about four. Um, her parents were quite wealthy and they, they owned um, oil businesses and they fled the country when the, Egypt went through their nationalisation programme and they, they left with no money apparently and they went to live in America and uh, a father worked there as a scientist. So he already, he was very well-educated man anyway, PhD, and this is one of the things she said um, was that it ma really made her realise how important it was because if he'd have had to flee Egypt with none of those qualifications, he wouldn't have been able to support his family. Wow. So they started up from scratch. She reckons she attended nine or ten schools with her sister and then she went on to train as an economic economist get that word out economist and she went to study at the University of Massachusetts and the London School of Economics and did a doctorate at Oxford and after she uh, was in Oxford she then went to um to work in um oh she worked um in oh where, where have I gone she went to work She's in research and she was researching um, the environment and economic growth and the economies of the Middle East and North Africa. She's taught at universities as well, at Georgetown University and Wharton University of the University, sorry, the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. And she worked for the World Bank. And she became the youngest vice president in history of the World Bank at age just 36 which really rather impressive. Yeah, yeah. Um, she returned to the UK in 2004 and she became a permanent secretary for the Department of International Development where she was responsible for the UK's development assistance efforts around the world. It was interesting because um, Kirsty was trying to draw her in Desert Island Discs as to you know, um, ministers that she'd worked with who hadn't taken her advice. And she, she, this, she was very... Um, she was very conscious of not saying anything wrong, but um, there was one thing where she said, "Have you ever thought, you know, you've you've presented your minister with different sets of advice and thought, why on earth did you choose that one?" And she just she just did a little laugh of, "Yes, maybe, <laughs> maybe." <laughs> <laughs> but she wasn't going to spill any beans, which is a bit of a shame. Mm. Um, she's a really impressive sounding woman. She She's very pleasant on Desert Island Discs. I, I, she came across as very warm and very intelligent. And one of the things that stood out for me was, was something we'd referred to a few weeks ago. We were talking about the research on the Bank of England 
Mm-hmm. And we, we'd looked up various terms on the Bank of England's website and, and commented on how easy it was to read and, and, and how well written the articles on the Bank of England website were. And she said that while she was there, and she was the deputy governor of the Bank of England, she actually was involved in reviewing what they'd written and the articles and the research, the reports that they write with the Bank of England. And they'd done a study that said that you needed a a reading age of somebody who'd been in education for 13 years. Okay. And she said, oh, so they rewrote it. And she, she said that, you know, they weren't making it, you know, an idiot's guide to, but recognising the fact that if you are an expert, you should be able to write something in plain English. And I I just, it made me smile because I thought, actually, that is absolutely what we'd commented on when we'd read the the material on the Bank of England website and just said, you know, actually, it's really, really well written. So um, Shafiq was made a dame in 2015. She's also been GQ2 Woman of the... Sorry, GG2, not GQ. Not GQ, (laughs) no, that wouldn't be right, would it? GG2, Woman of the Year in 2009. And as one of Forbes' um, 100 Most Powerful Women in 2015 and received the 100 Women in Finance European Industry Leaders Award just this year. So she's quite impressive. I think it's a bit of a shame that the Bank of England didn't appoint her as governor. It would have been a very interesting move. And she certainly has all the credentials. But I don't think she'll be short of appointments. She's she's not looking to retire just at the moment, I don't believe. She um, is involved in charitable work. So there's a, there's a whole list of charities she has been involved in. But she's currently a trustee of the British Mu- Museum and on the Council of the Institute for Fiscal Studies, on the Supervisory Board for Siemens, the Task Force on Fiscal Policy for Health, the New Economy Forum and the Per Jacobson Foundation. Fascinating lady. And like I say, this is one of the great benefits of this sort of research as we uncover people that we wouldn't have heard about her or maybe have heard about in passing but would would not have gone on and done this extra research so for that i am extremely grateful thank you very much i wanted to share um with you and with heather an article that i'd found on a website called webmarketing123.com it's from earlier this year by shiv ir and it's 15 business ideas for the future oh which apparently will become high income um beyond 2030 even so if you want to make if you want to make good money in the future yeah okay so number one marriage counseling stroke therapy okay so based on the the rise in divorce rates it's not great for society but it is a business opportunity Okay. Um, number two, manufacturing marijuana cigarettes. I think now you might have to wait until it becomes legal in your country, obviously. Um, it's legal in Canada at the moment. Okay. So, um, but I think it's only a matter of time before it gets legalised elsewhere in the world, perhaps. Okay. I like, yeah, I like that idea. Growing meat in the oh, lab. Oh, I'm not keen on this. What's... So um, this, this is where we're... We're looking at the um, sustainability of, of continuing to eat meat. And so science uh, has developed a solution which involves the production of lab-grown meat. 
through the use of stem cells. They're capable of growing meat in a laboratory. Mm, not for me, but a business opportunity potentially there. Yeah. So, uh, so face is a picture I just, now. <laughs> but so if it's if it's meat grown in a laboratory, it's not vegetarian, is it? Because it is it's actually meat. It's still is meat, it? isn't it? Yeah. Okay, I don't like that idea. Yeah, and, and I don't know if if you're vegetarian just for ethical reasons about cruelty to animals, that might work for you. Yeah, it doesn't work for me because I don't actually like eating flesh. It makes me feel a bit queasy just thinking about it after meat. Admit, and I do eat meat, but. If it doesn't make you feel queasy, it's a potential business right. opportunity. Okay. Um, this one might feel better for you. Vertical farming. Um, farming needs to be more efficient. Um, and also, um, we can actually start to use our, our land better by growing upwards instead of growing outwards. But it, only short crops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose maybe not corn. Yeah, maize it would be... <laughs> Okay. The, the, the picture that accompanies this, it looks largely like a, a leafy product. So okay. Quite, quite small product there. Uh, number five, water control. So clean water is obviously vital to society and um, wars and conflicts will undoubtedly be fought over resources like water as opposed to oil as the years go on. So maybe you want to get can control of some water. I think we've got some ethical issues there. But if you're just looking at a lucrative business, then consider being in control of water. It does sound rather dark, doesn't mm, it? It does. Solar power. So um, every year there are advancements in solar power. Um, <laughs> interested in this article, it says one sentence. The sun isn't going to decide to not rise one day. Let's hope not, eh? Yeah, because yeah, it wouldn't really matter what business you got then. You'd be stymied, wouldn't you? So it might be the time now to get into uh, the solar industry. And uh, you know, depending at, at the moment, I think some of the tax breaks are, and some of the um, incentives to move into the solar industry in the UK have changed quite a bit. But obviously, I think it's an area that we're going to have to keep coming back to. This one was interesting. Food trucks. So they, these are like the caravans that have been converted into mobile. Oh, like the, like the van van and the champa van and the yeah. sandwich and, and it, mobile pizza. And it's a growing industry. And also the success rate of the food truck is massively higher than the success rate of restaurants. Uh, the figures that they use in this article say that the... Um, Food truck fail rate is 10 to 20%. When you compare that to restaurant fail rates of up to 90%, actually, where, where's the best place for you to? Because I suppose you've got your property, you've got your, you've got your rent, you've got your rates. You know, they're m massive before you've even started. Whereas I suppose if you've got a truck, as long as it's... Yeah. Well, if it's a tow truck, then you don't even need to have an engine. You know, <laughs> as long oh, as you've got an engine to, to pull, pull it with. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Number eight okay. is vehicle sharing and uh, owning a vehicle may not be the same as we know it today. Um, we, we might just set up a um, car sharing business, which can enable people to, to actually share the resources. This one blew my mind a bit. Mining asteroids. Um, if we look um, beyond the atmosphere, there's a, an abundance of valuable resources in asteroids, apparently. Talking of all things space. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you go out there and you go and catch a few asteroids. 
I'm not sure about what, that. What do you do with them when you've... Well, you've got, um, you've got resources in there. So they're talking about things like diamonds, gold, platinum, because they're in short supply, and uh, reckons that if you go into space, you might be able to pull some of these metals out of asteroids. Blimey, okay. Right. That, that's obviously you might need deep pockets yeah that's a yeah yeah um charging centers for cars we've talked about yeah electric cars uh, a fair bit so obviously uh, there are some areas where they're um underserved by electric charging points at the moment so and the demand for them is only going to increase robotics we've talked about this as well um the fact that robotics and artificial intelligence uh, it, it's just the, the way of the future um, box subscription services. So anything that you can get delivered in a box, whether it's to do with a hobby or food. Well, we've seen the meal delivery services yep. rise, haven't we? Um, wine and beer and cheese. You can get all sorts of things delivered. You could have um, games delivered, all sorts of things. The options are absolutely endless. Um, harnessing wind en energy, that's back to the sustainability Um the use of wind energy will become increasingly popular and more viable. And obviously that relies on you being in the right location with the right amount of wind available to you. Uh, number 14 is 3D printing. And uh, the, the possibilities for this are as yet unknown to us. But the sorts of things that you can 3D print, uh, I, th I think, will, will actually surprise us. I've heard of 3D printed food. Okay. So they're not printed with plastic. They're <laughs> no, with food, food substance, yeah. yeah. Um, um, 3D printed joints and 3D printed yeah. weapons and all sorts of things. I think, yeah, I think it it's incredible. I remember seeing a 3D printer and it had printed, and this is what I couldn't quite get my head around, that you could have like a nut and a bolt, but it would be screwable. It wouldn't be fixed. Yeah. So all the different components can be um, can move independently within something which just I just can't quite get my head around this one you can get your head around so number 15 a veterinarian business people love their pets and pet ownership continues to grow so if you're thinking of a, a career option you, you might need a few years to train but that might be the one to go down Fascinating. Gosh, so there's 15 business ideas there. And if you are thinking of setting up in any of those businesses, in particular the uh, marijuana cigarettes, <laughs> the uh, farming asteroids, uh, <laughs> then you can do you can do no better than listening to the business community every <laughs> week when we will hopefully share some tips uh, and tricks that you might find of use. That's all we've got time for. For this year. For this year, yes. We've got um we've got a compilation show on the second where you'll get to find out a bit more about Tracy and I and the way that we think. <laughs> which may or not be a good may or may not be a good thing. But we're back on the ninth with a live show. You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. Join us again next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business.